If you will, go ahead and take your Bibles and turn with me to Acts chapter 25. Acts 25. If you're a first-time visitor here, my name is Jesse Herring. I'm the pastor here at Red Cross Baptist Church. Uh, we've been walking through the book of Acts since January of 2020, and we're coming up on the tail end of it, guys. we got just a few more weeks in the book of Acts. I mean, it's going to end before you know it. I know I've been probably been saying that for a while, but it's going to end before you know it. Uh, and so we're already praying about where we're going next. Um, I'm not going to announce that yet because um, it's still in the beginning phases, but uh, we do have some plans for next year of where we want to go in the in the uh, text. And so, but Acts 25, as you're turning there, uh, I want to make a couple mentions. First, Joseph Ames, where are you at, man? There you are. It's good to have you here. Uh, Joseph last week was in the hospital for a couple days. Uh, dealing with a, a collapsed lung. I don't, I don't know the name of it, and I'm going to sound ridiculous trying to, to say it, but dealt with a collapsed lung. And so, uh, but he's back. He was on the piano during the worship portion, so it's good to see you back, man. And Miss Beverly, uh, she's not a church member here, but we consider her one of our own. Uh, and so she just had brain surgery. Um, and, uh, and she's doing better, at least as far as we can tell. And so, uh, but she's here this morning. And, uh, and if you want to come and, and, and talk to her sometime, she'd love to tell you the story of what she is going through. And, uh, and so, um, I hope I didn't embarrass her too much a couple weeks back when I mentioned her in the uh, service, but, um, but it's good to have her back here this morning as well. So Acts 25, Acts 25, we're going to be looking at verses one through 12. Uh, so if you're there, say word. Fantastic. Go ahead and stand with me in the honor of the reading of God's Word. Uh, we're just going to be looking at verses 1 through 12. Now, three days after Festus had arrived in the province, he went up to Jerusalem from Caesarea. And the chief priests and the principal men of the Jews laid out their case against Paul, and they urged him, asking as a favor against Paul, that he summon him to Jerusalem because they were planning an ambush to kill him on the way. Festus replied that Paul was being kept at Caesarea and that he himself intended to go there shortly. So, said he, let the men of authority among you go down with me, and if there is anything wrong about the man, let them bring charges against him. After he stayed among them not more than eight or ten days, he went down to Caesarea, and the next day he took a seat on the tribunal and ordered Paul to be brought. Now when he had arrived, the Jews who had come down from Jerusalem stood around him, bringing many and serious charges against him that they could not prove. Paul argued in his defense, neither against the law of the Jews, nor against the temple, nor against Caesar have I committed any offense. But Festus, wishing to do the Jews a favor, said to Paul, Do you wish to go up to Jerusalem and there be tried on these charges before me? But Paul said, I am standing before Caesar's tribunal where I ought to be tried. To the Jews I have done no wrong, as you yourself know very well. If then I am a wrongdoer and have committed anything for which I deserve to die, I do not seek to escape death. But if there is nothing to their charges against me, no one can give me up to them. I appeal to Caesar. Then Festus, when he had conferred with his counsel, answered, To Caesar you have appealed, to Caesar you shall go. Let's pray. Father God, we are thankful for your word. God, I come this morning as somebody who is weak and broken and in need of your guidance. So, Lord, help us this morning as we seek to see the truth of your, of your gospel, of your message in this text this morning. We ask this in your son's precious name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Here, again, Paul is on trial. 
Don't worry, there's just a couple more passages after this where he's on trial. But he's on trial again, and this time he's before Festus, not before Felix. Felix, who we saw last week, has has now been done away with, and now Festus has come up, and Festus is the new guy that is that is heading this up. And, and so he, after he comes on, Festus goes to the Jews, as most of them do, to keep the peace, to want to go and make a good impression. And he goes to the Jews. It's been two years that Paul's been in prison. Two years. And Paul is still waiting to go to Rome. God's made this promise to him that you are going to go to Rome and you are going to bear witness to me in Rome. And so Paul is just waiting for his time. But he's been in prison here for two years waiting to get there. Festus steps up. Festus goes to Jerusalem to go and meet with the Jews. The Jews, after two years, have not forgotten about Paul. They've not forgotten about Paul. The Jews ask a favor against Paul, as we see in verse three, that they would, that Festus would summon Paul to Jerusalem to be held on trial there. Now, it's not the Jews' intention for Paul to be held on trial in Jerusalem. No, it is their intention to kill him on the way to Jerusalem. It is not their intention for there to be a trial. They want Paul dead. They want Paul done away with. And they're here again, after two years, they're making another plot to kill Paul. But yet Paul, when he stands before Festus, makes an appeal to Caesar. He wants to go to Rome and be held on trial there. Take me to Caesar. Now, as we're going to see in this text this morning, we're going to see that we make an appeal ourselves. In fact, let's go ahead and see what the main idea is for you this morning. The main idea is this. Our only hope for eternal life is to make our appeal to God who has made the way for us to be blameless. Our only hope for eternal life is to make our appeal to God. Now, I don't mean that as in we have a choice as to who we're going to be tried in front of. Okay, let me go ahead and say that up front. Every individual in human history, past, present, and future, is going to be tried before God. They are going to make a stand before God when they die, and all of their works are going to be made public. They will be held accountable for every action they have made. Every, every word they said, every thought that they had, every action, we are going to be held accountable for it. God, who knows all, who knows our deepest secrets, who knows our darkest sin, who knows the person we truly are, we are going to make a stand in front of him one day. And, that, and I mean, that's kind of frightening if you think about it. That's kind of frightening because there is no God needs to see the evidence against us. God knows the evidence against us. There is no, well, maybe we can keep this from God. Maybe God doesn't know about that thing I did that one time when I was that age. Oh, no, God knows everything and everything's going to be brought before us. And our only hope for eternal life is to make our appeal to him. Why? Because he has made the way for us to be blameless. He has made that way for us. 
And who is that way? John 14, 6, I am the way. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. So church, this morning I want to ask you, where is your hope for eternal life? I know you're like, man, I, I gave my life to Jesus when I was however young you were. Or you might have given your life to Christ last week and you're just like, I don't need to hear this again. I need something else. No, to be reminded of where our hope is for eternal life should bring encouragement to us. Because we need to be reminded of this. A lot of times, and I've shared this illustration with you before. Somebody went up to Spurgeon one day. I love Spurgeon. I want to be like Spurgeon. I want to preach like Spurgeon, but nobody can preach like Spurgeon. But somebody walked up to him one day and they're like, you preach the gospel way too much. Why do you preach the gospel every single Sunday? He said, because you forget it every single Sunday. We forget the gospel every single week and we need to be reminded of the hope we have for eternal life. Why? Because sometimes we fall into that mindset of, I have not read my Bible enough. God must be mad at me. That thing I did in my past that I keep, that, that, that Satan keeps bringing up to make me feel guilty. I, I need to be reminded that our hope is not in our actions. Our hope is not in our words. Our hope is not in anything good we can do. Our hope is in Christ. It's in Christ alone. Yes. I hope my four-year-old gets that. <laughs> and so here, Paul, as we're going to see, Paul is... Is, is making a stand before Festus. So let's, let's take a look at this, at this text. So, so we got the Jews, we've got Festus, and we've got Paul. The Jews want Paul dead. Festus wants to keep the peace. Festus knows Paul's actions. Festus knows actually more than likely Paul's innocent. More than likely these charges are trumped up. More than likely there's no evidence that you can prove of what he's done. And then you've got Paul who makes a stand and says, I appeal to Caesar because I want to go to Rome. I know where that is. I'm not going to Jerusalem because I know that's where I'm. I know that's where they're going to probably try and kill me again. But I'm a Roman citizen. That's what he's saying. I'm a Roman citizen. I appeal to Caesar. He has that right. He can do that. He can do that. So what do we need to see about this? First off, we see Paul is escaping death. From doing this. Now eventually Paul's going to die, but he knows that if he goes to Jerusalem, he will die. Paul is escaping death. In order for us to escape that eternal death that is, that is destined for all humanity apart from Christ, our hope has to be in Christ. So number one, we are, we are made innocent by the blood of Jesus. We are made innocent by the blood of Jesus. By the blood of Christ. Paul makes a stand before, Pest, before Festus, not Pestus, Festus. And Paul, and Paul, this is after the Jews have made these serious charges, verse 7, these serious charges against him that they could not prove. Verse 8, Paul argued in his defense, neither against the law of the Jews, nor against the temple, nor against Caesar have I committed any Offense. These are the charges that they are bringing, that he broke the law of the Jews, that he has desecrated the temple, and that he's making a stand against Rome and against Caesar. And Paul is making this stand. I'm blameless. I'm blameless. 
I've done none of these things. I've broken none of these laws. I've, I've not done any of this. Paul can stand before Festus and make that defense. Honestly. And there may, Lord willing, this doesn't happen. There may come a time some false charges are brought against you. It's happened. Whether it's in the court system or whether it's in the church or whether it's within your family. Anybody here ever had a family member falsely accuse you of doing something you didn't do? Man, I can't wait for Thanksgiving because it's going to come up. What do we not talk about at Thanksgiving and, and, and a Christmas and a Easter? Politics and religion. Guess what I talk about? Politics and religion. Let's bring it up. Y'all know that there may come a time you're going to have these false accusations to where you can possibly make that stand and say, I am blameless. But let me tell you when you cannot make that defense is when you stand before God against apart from Christ Jesus. When you stand before God apart from Christ Jesus, you cannot say, I am blameless. You cannot say, I have done no wrong. You cannot say, I deserve heaven. You cannot say, I do not deserve judgment. First John tells us that anyone who claims that they have no sin is a liar. And they make God a liar. Really? You cannot stand before God and say that you are blameless. And Paul can't stand before God and say that he is blameless. He can say this before Festus, but he can't say it before God. This is the same guy who, who in, who in other parts of the text, in, in, in the epistles that he has written to the churches, has made the claim that I am the worst of sinners. He has made the claim in, in, in uh, other parts of the text where all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. He's made the claim that we all deserve the judgment of God. All of us, every single one of us. He knows we cannot stand before God and make the defense that we are blameless. But we are made innocent by the blood of Christ. Jesus, who on the cross pours out his blood for our sin and shame. Jesus on the cross, who endured that suffering, who could have gotten off the cross with just a snap of a finger, who who could have taken a different path and not have died for us. He didn't go there unwillingly. He went there willingly. And He went there joyfully. Christ who walked to the cross on our behalf knew your sin and shame. Knew how you're going to disobey. Knew how you were going to mess up. He knew. He's God. But yet, one of my favorite verses, John 13, 1, He loved them till the end. And not only does that talk about the disciples, it talks about the church. He loved us up to the very end where He breathed His last breath. We are made innocent by the blood of Christ. 2 Corinthians 5, 21 tells us, For God made Him who had no sin to be sin for us that we may be made righteous in Him. 
Our innocence is in the blood of Jesus. Paul, who has staked his life on the blood of Christ, who this is why he is on trial by preaching the resurrection of Jesus. A Christ who who bled and died and suffered. Everything is true because he lives today. That's why he preaches the resurrection. He was right. Everything he said is true because the tomb is empty. And I and, and he's willing to stake his life on it. He's willing to stake his life on it. He tells us right here in verse 10. He says, but Paul said, I am standing before Caesar's tribunal where I ought to be tried. To the Jews I have done no wrong, as you yourself know very well. If then I am a wrongdoer and have committed anything for which I deserve to die, I do not seek to escape death. If he didn't truly believe that Christ rose from the grave, if he didn't truly believe that he's made innocent by the blood of Jesus, Paul could have lied right there. Paul could have done whatever he wanted to do to escape death. He could have tried his very best, but he didn't. And Paul, who has been in prison here for two years, is standing before Festus, and he's calm as a cucumber. He's just chilling. He's not nervous. He's not anxious. Why? Because his trust is in a sovereign God who made the way for him to be blameless, and that is through the blood of Jesus Christ. If Christ was willing to suffer and die for me, I'm willing to suffer and die for the gospel. So church, our hope for eternal life is in Christ. We are made innocent by the blood of Jesus. We are made innocent by the blood of Jesus. Not only is our hope in the blood of Christ, our hope is in the Word of God. Our hope is in the Word of God. How do we know about this justification? How do we know that we are made righteous? How do we know that we are saved by being in Christ? It's through the Word of God. Paul made the argument last week when we saw it. This was two years ago, but last Sunday for for us that he believes everything the Scriptures point to. He believes in the prophets and the law. It all points to the promise of Jesus. It, promise, it, it points to the promise of the coming of Christ, to the death of Christ, to the resurrection of Christ, to the future reign of Christ. It points to my future, to, to my future hope that one day I will stand before my Savior and will worship for all eternity. So our hope is not just in the blood of Christ. It's in the word of God that proclaims the blood of Christ. But yet this is the book that People deny. This is the book that people change. He's speaking to a group of people here. There are some Jews in this room that only agree with the first five books of the Old Testament, the law. They don't agree with the prophets. They don't believe that there's a future resurrection. They believe that once death, then death. But Paul believes that once death, there's judgment. And we will stand before our Creator. And how are we going to make our defense, church? 
I mean, are you going to stand before God one day and say, well, I did this and I did this and I didn't do this? Like the Pharisee and the tax collector up in the temple? God, thank you that I'm not like this guy. But yet the tax collector's beating his chest. Have mercy on me, a sinner. Church, you cannot stand before God one day and be like, well, I didn't kill nobody. I may have gotten mad. I never spent time in jail. I'm not like those guys. Our hope is found in Jesus, who will be our mediator, who will be the one to stand between us and God and will say that He is mine and He is innocent because my blood covers His sin and shame. We know of that hope because of the Word of God. That's where our hope lies. Our hope lies in the blood of Christ. Our hope lies in the Word of God. Our hope lies in the one that we make the appeal to. We are made innocent by appealing to Christ. My, my hope is not in Buddha. My hope is not in Krishna, whatever that dude's name is. My hope is not in any of these other gods that this world can come up with. Have you looked at Hinduism? Do you know how many gods are in Hinduism? Yeah, me neither. That many. This world will come up with so many gods. And even now in this, in this World, this culture we live in, you're a God. You're God of your life. You're the captain of your soul. But our hope is not in that. It's not in us. It's not in other gods. Our appeal is to be made to Christ. Our faith is in Him. For we are saved by grace through faith. This is not of works. Paul is making his appeal to Caesar not to be saved from eternal damnation. He's making his appeal to Caesar that he may go to Rome where God is sending him. Church, we, we make an appeal. When I was growing up... Um, I was, I was not a good kid. Um, I had a belt with my name on it. Um, and, and my parents sometimes would give me the option. <laughs> it's horrible. <laughs> give me the option of who do you want to spank you? I'm like, well, surprisingly enough, my dad was a lot easier than my mom was. So I'd choose my dad. I'd make my appeal. <laughs> Can, dad, can we wait till dad comes home and let him discipline me? Church, when we are faced with judgment in this life, we are to make an appeal. We are to respond. Paul is making a response. You get, you've got an option. Do you want to go to Jerusalem? Or do you want to go and be faced with Caesar? Send me to Caesar. Because I know going to Jerusalem... It's going to take me away from Rome and it's going to head me to death. 
Church, our appeal is faith in Christ. Faith that He has done all the works for us. Faith that He is truly who He said He was. Faith that one day we will stand before Him. Faith that one day we will worship with Him. Faith that one day He will glorify these rotten bodies that we live in that are failing us constantly. Faith that one day we will be saved from sin, from the presence of our sin. Church, our faith is in Christ. We are made innocent by the blood of Christ. We are made innocent through the truth of God's word. We are made innocent by faith. We are made innocent by grace. Paul, who knows what grace is, standing there, knowing he's innocent. But do you see that Paul is being gracious to them? You see that Paul is not lashing out. Paul's not cursing them. Paul is acting Christ-like. Church, our salvation, our hope is in grace. Because church, your sin and your shame deserves judgment. But yet through the blood and mercy of Jesus Christ, there is grace at the foot of the cross. You've probably come here this morning and you feel that guilt. God, I was not the Christian this week I should have been. I yelled at my coworker. I kicked the cat. I ate way too many Christmas tree cakes. But let's, let's get real though. God, I've, I sinned greatly this week. God, I wrestled and I failed. And it was hard for me to walk through the doors of the church this morning because I don't feel worthy to be in a congregation of people. Let me tell you, church, church is not for worthy people. Church is for the broken. Church is for the sinful. We don't want you to come here to feel like, well, I'm not worthy enough to be here. I cannot lift my hand during that song. And boy, was that a good song. I cannot lift my hand during the song because I'm sinful and I've messed up. God doesn't want to see me. God doesn't want to see me here worshiping. God doesn't want to see me here having my Bible open, trying to play the part. Church, because of grace, let me tell you, because of grace, Paul is standing right here. Paul is still alive because of grace. And we look at Paul and we're like, man, that's the Christian we want to be. But yet Paul is the one who says, I am the worst of sinners. Paul failed daily. Paul didn't live a sinless life. Church, our hope is in grace. That God looks at us and yes, he sees our sin, but he doesn't see it in a way in which, oh, he should die. No, he sees it in a way of, let me take it from you. Like the surgeon who 
worked on Beverly and saw that tumor and wanted to take that tumor out, who craved to, to, to see her be healthy and whole. That is, that is God. When He sees our sin, He craves to redeem us. And that's grace. Because we don't deserve that. We don't deserve that. Grace is like letting your kids eat the rest of your Christmas tree cakes. Because man, this past week, my kids did not deserve them. But grace is us being able to wake up every morning to live another day to glorify Him. Grace is God looking at you and saying, you are mine. Despite your sin and shame, you are mine. Despite your brokenness, you are mine. Despite your darkness, you are mine. Church, if you've turned to God, if you've turned to Christ, if your faith is in Christ alone, church, you've been captured by grace to where we can come to God and lay our sin at His feet and ask for forgiveness and still know that He loves us. It is because of grace that there is nothing you can do to make God love you less. But it's also because of grace that there's nothing you can do to make God love you more. Because of grace, God's love is perfected in Christ to you. Church, our hope our hope is in Christ alone, according to the Word alone, by grace alone, through faith alone, and lastly, to the glory of God alone. Paul is making his appeal to Caesar so that he may go to Rome. Paul is not trying to get out of this. Paul is not trying to escape death. Paul is willing to take what comes his way to accomplish God's mission for his life. Why? So that God may be glorified. So that God may be glorified. Church, our hope, our hope is that God will be glorified. And do you want to know why that is a good hope? Because God will be glorified. I know some of you in here have your hope in the Panthers next season because Cam Newton's coming back. I don't have a lot of hope in that. I don't know how I felt when I saw the news. Like, really? Oh. Anyways, our hope, thankfully, is not in people. Just like Paul's hope. Paul's hope is not in Caesar. Paul's hope is not that Caesar is going to find him innocent. Paul's hope is that God will be glorified through all that he's trying to do. But even though man may fail us, Cam Newton's going to fail us. I'm sorry, guys. Cam Newton's going to fail us. People will fail us. 
But our hope is in the one who will never fail because he will be glorified. His purposes will never be thwarted. His plan will be accomplished for your life. It was accomplished for Paul's life. And it will be accomplished for the church. This world may look like it's falling apart, but God's working within it. God is being glorified. The church is being raised. People are coming to know Christ. The church in India is flourishing. The church in China is flourishing. Why? Because our hope is not in us. Your hope is not in me, hopefully. I will fail you. Ask some of the church members in here. I will fail you. But our hope is in the one who will never fail. And Paul, that's where his hope was. In the one who will never fail. So church, let me ask you this morning as we close out before we take the Lord's Supper. Let me ask you, where is your hope at this morning? Because when we come and we take of the, of the juice and of the cracker, when we take of the blood and of the body, we are being reminded of the gospel that Jesus bled and died for us and his body was broken for us. We're being reminded of the fact that this blood was poured out for this new covenant and the bread was broken that we may be saved. Church, as we go to that, where is your hope at? Where is your hope at this morning? I pray it's in Christ. I pray it is in Christ. Let's pray. Father God, we are thankful for your word. We're thankful for this time. We're thankful for the blood that was shed. We're thankful that we may have faith in you. We are thankful of the grace that you bestow on us through the blood of Jesus. And God, we are thankful that your plans will never fail, that you are sovereign and supreme, and that everything that you have set out to happen will happen. So God, I pray that you help us to have a hope, a hope that is strong because it is in you and is not in people. It's not in our circumstances. It's not in our money or in our jobs or in our material possessions. It is in you and in you alone. So God, help us this morning as we are about to take of the Lord's Supper. Help us to look to you. We ask this in your son's precious name we pray. Amen.